You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Izzy, and I help connect businesses with tech talent. And today, I'm your host. We're back with another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by three senior leaders within the Australian tech industry. And today, we're going to be discussing the topic of balancing legacy systems and technological advancements. We'll kick things off today by meeting our panel. Andrew, would you like to start us off? Yeah. So, good day, everyone. I'm um, Andrew Burnett. I'm Head of Development Operations from Origin Energy in Brisbane. Uh, we are a retail energy and LNG business. Uh, I particularly work in the LNG part of the business. So our main customer is APLNG. Uh, my passion is people and technology. So technology is nothing without people. People can't live without technology. We get to bring it together and do both. It's pretty cool. So I'm very privileged. Thank you, Andrew. Ron, if you'd like to go next. Uh, look, thanks, Izzy. Uh, my name is Ron Lesh. I'm from EGL Corporate Solutions. Uh, we make uh, software for accountants to handle their company compliance work and to handle small retirement funds in Australia, which we call self-managed super funds uh, and also portfolio software. Uh, we've been doing that for about 30 years. Um, I, uh, in terms of my passion, oh, I, I, I'm my role as managing director. Uh, in terms of my, my passion, I think uh, travel, um, technology, um, food, uh lots of lots of different things uh i i've uh, i'm certainly passionate about football um travel so there's lots of things here great thank you ron last but not least simon g'day yeah my name's simon grigg um based in melbourne i'm senior manager technology of solution architecture business systems at tabcorp uh, so i manage a team of architects who work across a lot of brands you probably almost um probably all like and consume. Um, we've got TAB wagering, so all the wagering stores um, and online, um, Sky Racing TV station, um, lotteries, so the lot and Powerball and all, all the lotteries products, Kino as well, and then gaming, we have the Max brand. Um, so I hope to think people are familiar with our products. Um, passionate inside and outside of work. Um, I'm really interested in being an a career architect, interested in how architects can work with delivery teams and working in agile, the agile space. Um, and outside of work, my interest is like Texas barbecue and cooking that. So I've got about four smokers and also the AFL and I'm a Saints fan, so. <laughs> Great, thank you everyone. Uh, we'll jump into our first question that was brought forward by Andrew. So Andrew, if you wanted mm -hmm. to share your question and your thoughts on it. Sure, it's, it is a little bit long, so bear with me. So in the current market, we're faced with a bit of a paradigm. So we're living in a post-COVID world where businesses are tightening the belts, potentially shedding staff, leading to lack of resources that used to be able to absorb change, uh, leading to longer lives of legacy solutions. So secondly, we're in a post-COVID world where IT staff now have a choice where of great roles where they can go to startups and other companies who are doing bleeding edge technology. So the question is then, how do we sell legacy solutions to ambitious IT professionals in a hot market? And then the second part of that is, how do we maintain staff engagement? We're not always working with the sexy bleeding edge tech. So Andrew, before I shoot to the others, what do you think? Look, legacy doesn't necessarily always mean bad. So legacy is 
is often the right solution for the job. Um, old is necessarily always bad. Uh, just because it isn't serverless doesn't mean it isn't fit for purpose. So some of the best systems in the world are still running on technology it was around the 70s and 80s. Um, it comes down to, I guess, what you need it for, what the business, whether it's meeting the business requirement, um, whether there's any burning reason to, to, to change. So there's a reason trains still run on COBOL. So because it just does one thing really well. Now, the the challenge is to go through it. And this is the thing, that's why I asked the question, how do you sell that to people who want to do serverless tech? So I think you need to link the role back to the business value and the function that you're trying to, trying to um, play in the business. So we're not here to do resume-driven development. Um, we're here as IT people serving the business and giving them what they need. So I think there has to be that linkage of how your role as an IT professional links back to business success. And ultimately, if we're doing something because it sounds cool and I want to put it on my LinkedIn, that's not the right reason to be doing it. If we can can derive direct value, you know, cost saving, uh, efficiency, or um, re reducing our overall operational footprint, great. You know, that, that's a good reason to do something. But if we're doing it just cause, um, not the right reason. So ultimately it comes down to, I guess, that, that, that business value and link back to why we do what we do. Ron, it would be great to hear your thoughts on this as well. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, we've um, we've been in a lucky position that during uh, during COVID, we've grown, not shrunk. Um, our biggest problem at the moment is finding staff. Uh, it's a huge problem, especially in Melbourne. Um, we we're trying to move people off legacy systems because uh, those systems aren't fit for purpose anymore. So we've actually gone the other way, and uh, you know, we've got clients who are using our who've used our desktop software for 25 years. Will be the anniversary this year, um, but that product no longer does what they need it to do. So um, we're sort of in a you know, probably in a in a in a different position. How do we sell it to people? Well, we don't actually try and sell the the, the legacy products, and we haven't now for three or four years. Um, we we made the decision that. The legacy, the, our legacy products, our desktop products have are coming to the end of their life, and that people want more efficiencies and they want to be more effective, and we can do that better with uh, cloud products than we could ever do it with um, desktop products. What about uh, Sorry. So it's going to, on, on the back of that. Well, what about then the the bespoke applications though, that do a job that you know, not necessarily not the not the point solutions, but I guess the core platforms that the businesses still tend to run on. Yeah, most of our core platforms here now are cloud-based. Um, we've got a few that we host ourselves, but they're still cloud products. Um, but I I don't think we really, apart from some very old product registration number systems that we had for our desktop products, I think it's about all that's left that we that we really use that are that are uh, client server based or, or desktop based. Every everything else we're using here, be it CRM, be it marketing, be it um, uh, financials, um, are all cloud based products. Mm -hmm. Simon, what do I, you think? 
I think like it really resonated with me when you said um, like, how do we sell these legacy solutions to new, like attracting talent? And mm. I mean, like I think, and having a lot of worked on legacy platforms in the past, there's still ways you can work with next gen things on these platforms. Like for example, using a contemporary delivery model, you know, working agile, safe. So actually look, the legacy tech is there, but let's work um collaboratively contemporary working models i mean uplift uplift the cicd or even you know lift things to the cloud i mean without even touching mm. the legacy code so it's ways around the periphery i think to um sort of transform mm. but um and and then i mean the golden question is how often are you changing these these platforms like if they're high degree mm. of changes you've got to start looking at a, a strangler pattern or start wrapping it in apis and mm. moving stuff out of it but um, if it's a system that you're not changing often, um, I mean, I, these people, how often are they going to work with this system if you're not changing it frequently? Like, I, like the drive won't be there to swap out the system and do go on a transformation journey, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. If I think about it, like our SCADA network, for example, that's based on technology that's been around for a heck of a long time. That's not going to change because it's yeah, it's robust. It's proven. And how much risk do you want to take to your business in putting something in that's that's modern and unproven as opposed to having people around and be doing this for 20, 30 years? We know this in, backwards in their sleep. Um, that's the, the sort of stuff we want to run your business on, ultimately. And the other thing, it both make interesting points, though, about running stuff in the cloud. Um, just running in the cloud doesn't necessarily always make it modern either. It's still, you can still have the most legacy, I don't know from experience, that's why I'm saying it, the most legacy tools in the world. Just because it's running on cloud hardware doesn't make it modern. Um, it's just, how, it's, it's some lost data center. But Andrew, how do you attract staff to want to work on these systems? Because all the younger, mm -hmm. the younger guys we find, uh, they don't want to work on legacy systems. They want to be mm -hmm. a bleeding edge. Uh, they want mm -hmm. to be working with the latest technologies. So yep. you've got the people there that know these legacy systems that you've got and they've been in your mm -hmm. business for a long period of time. Um, but as they retire and as, as, uh, as they move out of the business, um, how do you get younger, younger people in to support those applications? Um, you need to attract them with something else. So it's the industry and the culture that attracts people. The technology is something that just is, it's a constant, it is what it is. All companies of this sort of scale, like in this sort of industry, we're all using the same technology. Um, I know when it comes to our core SCADA platforms or our Prussian data platforms that are doing all of our sensory in the field, it's all based on technology that every company is using. So it's all the same. Differentiate yourself based on the other stuff. It's around, at the moment, culture, and uh, the hybrid way of working is something that people are looking for. Um, the technology as well, you need to you need to sell a challenge. People need a mountain to climb. One person needs a mountain to climb. That's, that's what motivates me every day. The challenge needs to be set to grab something old. I mean, I use old loosely, legacy. And how do you wrap a modern DevOps wrapper around it? How do you automate it? So how do we make the deployment? How do we make the, the build, the recovery, integration, all the stuff that we take for granted? Now, it's a genuine challenge. And the vendors as well don't make it easy. We're going to fight them all the way through. But again, you need to find 
some kind of personal motivation in doing that. And at the end of the day, the end result of doing that is you've taken something that someone says can't be modernized and you've done it. I've, got, I've had guys on my team who are some of the best cloud engineers I've ever come across in my career, bar none, hands down, who have every certification known, known to man. We've taken applications that supposedly couldn't run in the cloud and then turned them into damn near immutable platforms that we can deploy you know, with a glass of wine in one hand. It's crazy. So that in itself is a win. That's a challenge. You need to go through and then highlight those as wins as opposed to saying everything has to be a, a microservices serverless pattern because it can't be. Simple as that. Mm. And often, often there's um, often on the periphery you'll be innovating anyway with these these mm. these people like the like I would assure even the monolith of all the monoliths, I mean, in in my career we've you know plugged it into event event source data streaming platforms like Kafka you know mm -hmm. integrated to SaaS based um, monitoring and alerting tools like so um, so yeah I think to me what would resonate with these platforms is you know. Going back to how frequently do they change, but whether you can start containing, having a contained strategy, and as new projects come in, start building outside or wrap some APIs there and start building outside. But um, but yeah, it's challenging. Mm -hmm. That was our big problem because we we're, we deal with um, tax law, we deal with superannuation law, we deal with um, corporate law, and they keep changing. And at some point in time, we had to say, well. How long do we continue to update two products um, with changes that come through? And we made the decision that we're just not going to. Uh, it, you know, it took us a while to make it. We didn't do it straight away because I, I remember back many, many, many moons ago when we moved from a DOS product to a Windows product, uh, we basically said, well, there's no more DOS product, basically. You've got to move. It was a mandatory move. Now, today we couldn't, we couldn't do that. Uh, moving people from Windows or desktops to the cloud. But that was the position that we were in was, well, do we continue with two or don't we? And the, mm -hmm. the decision we made was not to. Um, and, and all the guys who we were trying to employ didn't want to work on the old products. They wanted to work on the cloud stuff. They wanted to work on the AI that we're doing. They wanted to work on um, all, the, all the fancy stuff, um, big data stuff that we're doing. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it gave us, I suppose, the opportunity to, to find new talent to do new things, which we did. Um, but it was, it really got us to a point where those legacy systems really have become legacy systems and are getting close to end of life. Um, now, I understand the problem when you've got big systems that are doing monitoring and there really isn't a, a, a solution to, to move all of that very quickly. Um, by the way, we've been moving clients for uh, 2014, we started. So uh, seven years, so it hasn't happened quickly. Um, but but the end result is a good result. We think it's a good result. Certainly, well, from a revenue perspective, it's a good result because you can charge a lot more for, for desktop product or for cloud products than you can for desktop products. So from our perspective, yeah. it's a good result. But, um, I'm, I'm still working on commercializing my service, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. All right, great points, everyone. Uh, I think that leads on pretty well to your point of discussion, Ron, if you want to kick things off there. Yeah, I can uh, do that. If, um, so what I was, I suppose, was looking at is how you move 
and you guys, I suppose, really are, are involved with more internal clients and external clients, but, but how you move people from uh, existing clients using their legacy software to, to uh, cloud software um, from a vendor perspective. Uh, this, I just thought that the, you know, you made the comment, uh, Andrew, that your vendors uh, are difficult to deal with, uh, that, they're, that obviously they're not spending a lot of time and money looking at how they can redevelop necessarily. They're expecting you to keep mm -hmm. using their legacy systems. Um, and, and maybe they need a change of thought as to where the future is. Are you are you are you asking more on moving something that was a desktop based to something SaaS? Well, something yeah, basically something that was the client server based or server based, moving it to a SaaS system. Yeah, I'm I'm presuming mm. that some of the stuff you've got is probably uh, cloud based anyway because you're working on so many locations. Um, but you know, with Andrew, you've got a lot of legacy systems that just aren't cloud based, and and it sounds to mm. me like vendors are not in a hurry to move them to the cloud. Yeah, look, I'll jump in. It's, I think I said before, cloud hosted doesn't necessarily make it legacy or modern. So, no. so I think that's probably the one we might have seen. I can't call that mutually exclusive because they kind of, it's, it's different. We've got hundreds of applications, unfortunately. And I dare say, Simon, you're probably in the same, same boat as us and some of your businesses. The applications that will never go anywhere so there's a lot that we just have to host in various ways, shapes, or forms. So when it comes to migration, the one thing we want to avoid, and I guarantee everyone else is in the same boat with this, no lift and shift. Lift and shift is pointless. I'm just moving a, a data center hosting the cloud. That achieves no benefit. There's no, there's no benefit to operations, no benefit to, to scale, and most particularly cost efficiency, because that's the reason you do it in the first place. So the the challenge is thrown down then to hit savings targets for our IT budget. Um, now, the only way to do that is to realize optimization when it comes to cloud migration. I think that's where you need to be engineers who can go through and do that. So working closely with the vendors to refactor and push them as far as, as, far as humanly possible within the realms of supportability. I think that's probably the, the elephant that's written in every single room when it comes to this conversation. I can make us, we've proven, we can make applications run, you know, containerized, completely damn near immutable, um, with full development pipelines, the vendor can't support it. So if something goes wrong with it, we're on our own. Can we risk that a business of origin scale? No way. So we need to temper their, our expectations around what's achievable, more in the realm of supportability, but whilst pushing as far as we can to optimize our costs, our operational overheads, um, uh, immutability so this thing that things look after themselves i think that is sort of where we play so when it comes to you know, taking legacy tech i think like simon was saying before it's around how we wrap the modern wrappers around it to make it easy to run cheap to run easy to integrate with and i think that's where legacy solution doesn't, doesn't go away because you can't get rid of it there's so many of these applications we got there is literally no replacement for um and that's fine. Business love it. They're happy to use it, but we need to run it in a way that is best is you know, best practice for us. So I think that's where you need your engineers to go through and do all the the cool DevOps stuff around the edges of these systems that aren't going to change. You need to beat vendors up hard, and I think that's part of being an Australian company as well. Like we don't accept mediocrity. 
you know, we, all of us, we all push our vendors hard. When, it, when I've been at, at conferences and forums, you know, nationally and internationally, the Australians are always the loudest ones, getting what we want, because, you know, we spend a lot of money in, in, on these things and we don't, we don't give they for money. So push the vendors, push ourselves to get the best possible outcome. I think that's sort of where I'm at. Yeah, look, our approach, I will say, was different because what we ended up doing was building new products from scratch. So that'll be, um, that'll be nice, yeah. Well, we didn't have we didn't have much of a choice. We could have taken the existing products and we could have, as you said, thrown them into a, a data center and said we've now got cloud. At the, it's just the uh, you know you're accessing a different way, um, but that's that wasn't the solution going forward. Uh, it wasn't the long term solution because we needed to get to a point where we had all the but we could break things down to microservices where we could. Uh, uh, distribute the product much wider, um, where we could uh, run it on any device, all that sort of stuff. And once you start moving legacy products into data centers, you don't get that uh, that ability. So we didn't. We we decided early in the piece that wasn't a solution. Um, we made the decision to rewrite. Now rewriting took a while, and uh, you know we can, I can almost say today that even after six or seven years, the, um, the one of the products we sell uh, probably still doesn't have every single feature that the desktop had, um, but it has a lot of features the desktop didn't have. So it was designed totally differently, um, which has worked for us. Uh, depends on the industry, I suppose you're in, and and I suppose what your expectations are. You guys are working with in, more internal than external, um, I, unless I'm reading it wrong. Uh, certainly. Mm -hmm. Andrew seems to be Simon. I, I get the same impression. Whereas all of our clients are external to us. Yeah, we we, we I mean, we got a large B two C, uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of customers with Tapcorp. But yeah, but a lot of internal as well. Mm. But the 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 development you're doing, you're talking about the uh, the phone apps and all those sort of things. But yeah, yeah, but the, yeah, a lot of internal stakeholders we work with day to day. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yep. But I think with, I mean, moving, like you said, with the original question, moving clients who usually consumed your product on the desktop or, you know, client server based and that journey of moving to the cloud. I mean, I don't think coming from a big company, you can't underestimate just the benefits of a SaaS offering to, especially large enterprises. Mm -hmm. I mean, seeing, seeing, I mean, if it's deployed client server, that company will have resources dedicated to um, hosting, you know, prod, DR, pre-production, development, test environments, just all that overhead of infrastructure, people, um, every upgrade, the amount of resourcing that has to go into, you know, um, outages, testing, integrations, upgrading the software, just that whole overhead and management, you know, completely, a lot of it does disappear going to SaaS where everything, a lot of it is done behind the scenes. So a lot of benefit yeah. and cheaper in the long run. Um, but yeah, but I think too, it does come with con SaaS um, that companies, I mean, data sovereignty, for example, I mean, I've been in situations where certain SaaS, they hold your data in, for example, on just any example, Japan, there is no Australian storage. So data sovereignty does come into play. Um, also, it's easier for, um, you know, business and shadow IT to get a credit card and sign up for solutions as well. So something 
to be conscious of as well, um, especially yeah. on the security side. Um, but yeah, yeah, we're in a slightly different position. We have to host here. We don't. We don't yeah, have a choice. Okay. Um, so so that has, although we do hold backups overseas, and uh, uh, again, that all needs to be disclosed and the security issues around that. But uh, yeah, why do you do uh, that? Due to cost? Due to cost? Do you do that or no? The ge geopolitical GDPR. Yeah, give us a, give us okay. a, you know if somebody drops a bomb on Sydney, we'd lose our Amazon at least one instance of our Amazon. Um, so uh, just means if. Uh, Clients still want to operate that we can connect them up to uh, to Japan. Uh, it takes us about 40 minutes to get the software back up and running over there. Um, okay, so it's for resiliency and high availability. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Well, the ability to to make it live. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just something we we wanted to get rid of the geopolitical risk. That was really what it was about. Um, who knows? Yep. We hopefully we've never got to use it. <laughs> Here's Sorry. hoping. How often do you <laughs> rehearse? How often do you rehearse that, or do a um, do monthly? Monthly, okay. Monthly. Impressive. Mm. Yep. Well, well, we've got we've got I don't know how many users actually use the software now. The last time last time that we looked, we had about five hundred thousand registrations for people using the software in different places, <laughs> different terms. But. So do you do that monthly and swap them over? And they don't even know. So no scheduled outage. It just happens. We we no correct. We we um we we actually we don't run live externally. We run it live only internally when we're running oh, the, okay, yep. the the test. So uh, we'll we'll we do the backups um, more often. I think the backups are every day um, because the content just a continuous backup. But we test that it all works every month. Uh, that we can log in, that we can, so we move it from being a backup to a live instance. Yep. Uh, right. The problem we're cool. finding is that as time goes on, the number of instances you're using and the number of copies of databases and everything as that increases, it makes it harder and harder. But I suppose if it ever happens, we'll have to worry about that then. If no one wants to um, add anything else to that, topic. We'll move on. Thanks everyone for your contributions there. Uh, Simon has a few really interesting points he wants to unpack, so take it away. Yeah, thanks. Is he, um, the first one, I was interested, Andrew and Ron, at your, your organisations, looking at the causes and the actual underlying reasons why systems do remain legacy and how any successes you've had at your companies to um, sort of turn the dial and get that investment and really driving change in those spots or some some examples that resonate with you? Yeah, well, sure. Well, so, go, Andrew. No worries. Um, so why things probably remain the legacy, uh, uh, for the most part, the, the tools that just work. So we have quite a few of those across our business. Um, they're extremely bespoke. They're a very, very, very limited vendor offerings in the market. Uh, there's a few mega vendors in our space, particularly in the in the energy sector. Um, I'm sure my name was on, on this, but they are significant and every single company of our, of our nature runs them. So those things won't go anywhere. Um, you could try and build things yourself, but that's years of work and why would you? Um, the... 
Are you running the yeah. latest versions of these, or are you actually we are, versions behind? Yeah. Okay, so no, they're just no. legacy as a solution. Exactly. So yeah. they're based on on old technology, but um, they'll never change. Is the upshot? So old protocols, uh, old tooling in some instances. Well, I use the same old. It's new old. So it's all brand new verified stuff. But it's uh, technology we were running back in the 80s and that's how that's what it was so before i was in it when i was on primary school um it's again no impetus to change that sort of stuff because again it's all about risk aversion uh we're dealing with high pressure gas lines that uh, it's all it can be extremely volatile if managed incorrectly so why would you risk that so safety is is absolute front and center when it comes to all these tools you wouldn't touch those other applications now, you need to pick your battles. So I think it comes down to if you have uh, a group of highly paid engineers who are deriving value out of a particular software solution to do their job most effectively, doesn't matter what it is, if they're loving it, it won't change. Because um, at the end of the day, we all need the right tool to do the job. So those sort of things, regardless of whether we would see them as being legacy or not, will never go away because it's it's optimizing the workflow for these particular individuals. So we have those tools. Uh, the rest of them, I think I've said before, they won't go away, but we've modernized the hecker ever around the edges of them. So you know, we've taken them, we've automated as far up the stack as possibly can, um, we'll put all the right monitoring integration. So we'll create the, the modern wrapper around these tools. Where possible, if we look to build versus buy versus SaaS, SaaS is always the best option. Are there SaaS offerings from our tools? Definitely not. Um, and the majority of our vendors can't spell cloud, unfortunately. So we have to, to drive them when it comes to implementation to ensure we're getting the right outcomes. Now, the other thing in our, in our industry, and again, not specific to origin, but because uh, these sort of businesses go through very, very rapid growth phases, that leads to a lot of shadow IT where you would build whatever you need to build to get off, off the ground. Um, or out of the ground in, in our case. But that is, it's not wrong because you're doing what you need to do to get to get uh, to productionize a, uh, uh, well, whatever, whatever you're trying to productionize. So in our case, it's getting our APLNG project off the ground. Is that sustainable in the long run though? Definitely not. I think that that's the, we have to go back and refactor based on the operational realities that you face at scale. So it's easy, stuff, everything's easy with it when it's small. Everything gets hard when you get big. So these things don't necessarily scale. You need to go back and then uh, link the change and the modernization back to the operational saving of making that change. So I think that's where we get, where it gets up. If it doesn't doesn't stack up NPV-wise, it, it'll, it'll just remain to maintain it, in which case then we do what we can to try and put our wrappers around the edge of it without increasing head count. So it's a fun challenge in that respect. Yeah, look, from our perspective, I think the last system we actually moved was our CRM. Um, and we were using Lotus Notes and we made the decision to, to move away from that That uh, now probably eight or nine years ago. Um, so uh, we, we had a migration issue, we had training issues, uh, but most importantly, we didn't, there just wasn't a CRM that we could find that had the, the type of subscription systems that we needed uh, to run a SES business. So we ended up um, buying a, a core and developing our own uh, attached to that. 
Um, we've added a lot of stuff since because we uh, were originally going to use that for support and then we moved to Zendesk. Um, so we've sort of had a lot of things happen in, in the meantime, but th that was probably our last major legacy system that we got rid of. Um, and that was now five, six, eight years, 10 years ago, probably. Um, so we, we haven't been bound, we're not bound by legacy at all at the moment, which is really good. Um, and our biggest issue was getting our clients off old software onto new software. Um, but internally here, we just don't use any. Uh, I don't think there's, apart from, you know, a few people still use Word and Excel and PowerPoint and whatever, but um, we still tend to use more of the slide product or more of the Google products than we do of the, the others. So we've sort of moved, tried to move everything we've got into the cloud as much as we possibly can. It just makes it so much easier for sharing. Um, so yeah, I suppose that's that's where we've ended up. We we don't have anything left uh, to move, which is which is great. Not that I'm unhappy about that. The only thing I'm unhappy about is the amount of paying for subscriptions every month, um, <laughs> which is crazy and are just getting worse. Um, but yeah, well. You know, uh, you ask people why they charge like they do, and their answer is because we can. Um, you know, you need our product, you pay for it. And uh, a Zendesk license is like $2,000 a year per user. That's just crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not saying it's great, not great software, but God, it's expensive. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's, I suppose, where we sit. Forgetting about it from our client perspective. <laughs> Uh, one of the questions we always got asked by clients, of course, is, you know, you're telling us to move to the cloud. What have you done? And we can put our hands up and say, we've done it. We've moved all of our stuff. Um, so what, what we did find was a lot of holes. Um, once, we, once we moved, it, it didn't cover everything the way we wanted to cover it. So we had to build it ourselves. So we do have an internal development team of a couple of PHP developers who build a bit of stuff for us internally. Um, but that's purely because the sorts of things that we wanted and the way we wanted to tailor it and integrate it with our, our own software um, didn't give us the chance to do Well, there just wasn't was any products around to do it. Great. Simon, I'll yeah. let you lead the charge on your extra couple points, just whatever order you want to do those in. Yeah, no worries. Um, and I was going to say back onto that question that, um, I mean, Obviously, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why solutions can remain legacy, but also what I've seen is, you know, you've got the instances with the monolith of the monoliths with um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, lines of code that are that are always challenging. And especially if you can't get those solutions off the shelf easily, or they're very tailored to an industry and you've built it from scratch in-house. Um, and also systems that are like integrated with everything so i would pose a lot of risk at a company you know i'm talking 100 plus integrations to other systems that it does get challenging and also niche technologies where you just can't find people i think sometimes those are the most challenging um mm. like it might even be the latest technologies but just legacy or hard to attract actual people um, i've been in instances where we've had to fly people in from sydney just to work on things and yeah yeah um Alrighty, the next sort of couple of questions, sort of, I guess I can merge them into one, but um, it's really around people um, and how how we motivate people working with legacy technology, especially in companies where other teams 
and the teams they work with are more innovative and have that freedom to innovate. Um, and how you how you motivate those teams on legacy tech and keep them interested, keep them um, performing um, when they might not be way, working on the latest tech like um, other teams, like digital teams and so on. Yep, um, we have that exact challenge. We have uh, our retail teams are very much customer facing using some of the more bleeding edge technology. But again, it comes down to creating that linkage back from the individual back to the success of the organization. So it's you, you need to celebrate the wins around the legacy tag when, you know, whatever you can do to make it better, that's, that needs to be celebrated and called out in just the same way as launching a new retail app is because it's just as important. Often the savings are greater and the value of the business is greater than doing something that's public facing um, because again, the people you got in here are uh, highly skilled, highly paid engineers, the best we can, more we can do to optimize their day, the better. Um, and the more benefit that is back to origin is you're giving, you're basically what you're doing is you're creating time people who are very, very smart to think about how to make our business better. So the more we can do around that, the better. The, in terms of attracting, it's, um, we don't use legacy technology, that's for sure, to attract people. It comes down to the industry and the culture, um, what we can offer here, the opportunities we can offer to, to learn, to grow. That's probably really important. Um, yeah. It's an interesting point when it comes to the other team doing the sexy, cool stuff. Now, that's easy to do greenfields. I've seen so many times in other companies where the digital team is starting with a clean slate, no legacy, fresh build. Come back to me in two years when you've got hundreds of products out there, when you need to start supporting them, running them, changing them. What you become very quickly is from a startup to an IT department when the, the same operational realities that we face with legacy technology starts to apply to the tools you've built with Lambda or with, with something that's containerized, it's still going to break. It's still going to at some point need to be changed. So the, the grind is still there. It's not, it can't always be fresh and new all the time. So I think tempering the, the, the shiny lights and shiny things of a greenfield opportunity and call it back to, operational realities of running a business, I think is, is where you have to go through and, and ground that. Um, and uh, again, you just need, it's yeah, recognizing people for the, for the small things, the stuff that makes a difference, making people feel needed, wanted, and creating the right culture around them and to, to um, further their careers, help them with their resumes, actively have conversations around career development, um, or alternatively have conversations around how this piece of work is actually giving them experience for the next role. Um, we don't want people to see her and stagnate. That's, that's not, not, not the, the goal, but if they can put in the resume that they've transformed a core platform at a company like Origin, legacy or not, that's huge. Um, there's, I said there's big dollars, lots of zeros in the back of this sort of work. So you know, the fact you've built up a Kubernetes farm to, to host a single application, you know, great. But if you say I've transformed millions of dollars of software, that's now changed the workflow behind the scenes of Origin massive so it's all the how you frame it yeah well, I, I, we've, we've got a different problem we've got people who are because we've got some teams that are doing stuff that's deemed to be more sexy than others even with doing uh, even in the cloud uh the, the developers get bored uh when you're doing the same thing and uh, having a, a 
trying to keep them for more than three or four years uh, becomes a matter of getting them to do all different things in different places. So we, we try and move them across team uh, so that they're doing different tasks. Uh, and that helps us to retain the, the guys that, are, that we want to retain uh, for a longer period of time. Um, they, we, you know, whether whether they're work, you know, even if they're working on one product, we move them into another product and vice versa, uh, just to give them some different experiences and some different stuff to do. Uh, you know, we're, I suppose we're we're lucky we don't have to motivate them to stay in um, to work on on, on older systems. It's interesting the two guys who were working on our old products uh, have now all moved into working on the cloud products. Um, and the feedback I get from them is that they're missing the stuff they used to do because they really loved it. Um, and one of them was working on one of the desktop products for about 14 years, and the other one about 13 years. And they just loved working on it. And they were, in the end, the only developers working on those products. Um, you know, going down from teams of three or four. Uh, but they, uh, that's just, I suppose, what, what happened with them. And now they're working on the cloud products. And I suppose in five years from now, they're going to come to me, I hope and say, I really enjoy now working on the cloud products and I'm glad I'm not working on the desktop ones anymore. Um, so <laughs> I we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, Do I? Yeah, it's interesting. That's, that's, that's been our issue is, is really even with the cloud products. Keeping them. Do, do you guys, your companies try, I mean, encouraging innovation, especially with these legacy tech teams, what, what have you seen works well in um, driving innovation in these teams? Or any learnings, <laughs> good or bad. Mm -hmm. um, creating easy pathways to get ideas out of people's heads. People, everyone knows what what's needed. Um, if you've been here for any length of time, you know you know what the, where the problems are. Uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you probably got a reasonable idea of what it should look like. But you need people to speak up. So I think from our from something that we do here is. We have uh, a demand register that makes things simple to get on idea out of people's head and then get it supported uh, and pushed through the demand process and get it delivered. So being able to create a, um, I guess, a supportive environment for change where you don't have to put up with uh, mediocrity. You don't have to, to, to suffer through operational pain. So if there's something you want to suggest, you definitely can. If you see something you need help, being able to go through and grab the people who can possibly bring your idea to life, creating the connections with that. So the whole, we have very much a one team, one origin type culture here where across origin, we have every skill you possibly ever, you ever, ever want. So as long as you got to speak up and as long as you feel supported to do that, to challenge the norms, then you know, chances are you're going to find the right person who can help you to craft a solution to fix it. So that's how we turn to them. Simon, how do you guys tackle that at Tabcorp? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, we're always looking at investing in new technologies. Um, we're actually redoing our mobile app now, the Tab app in Google Flutter, which is an emergent technology. So we're all, I mean, cool? we're always interested in using the latest technologies. Um, we've got a fail fast um, mentality. Um, which is good and always trialing new things. So, so yeah, and encourage teams. I mean, I mean, 
myself and the architecture team, we're always challenging thinking, challenging the status quo in why are we building certain things in what might be systems we want to eliminate or or monolithic systems always challenge the status quo, think outside the box, what can we build? If we're going to invest the money, is it better to invest into an evolutionary architecture to take us forward or increasing tech debt in existing platforms? So we encourage um, these things. Also, you know, hack days, innovation days, um, and these things, but yeah. Hmm. What about yourself, Ron? Well, I, I, I suppose our, our biggest, We've got really one team that's probably doing most of the more innovative stuff and the stuff that they've, they've done over the last couple of years is what we put in for the awards and all that sort of stuff. Uh, next year, it's going to be stuff from a different team uh, because they've done something we think is pretty sensational and uh, is, is capable of, of, of maybe winning a technology award. So we try and we try and do that. We encourage innovation in the way they develop stuff across the teams. We, we work on Agile, we're on, we're on three-week delivery cycles for one product and four-week for another, um, or actually two weeks, but they do two sprints at a time. Um, so they've got, to, they've got to get stuff out quick, and if they're going to fail, it's going to fail, and we're going to know pretty quickly. Um, but we don't, um, the innovation across teams is, is not as much as I'd like. Uh, at the moment, and it's something we have been been doing a bit of work on, um, because some people feel, and probably rightly so, that more than one or two of the teams has probably done more, most of the more innovative stuff. So we're trying to now uh, spread that a little bit more and move people around so they get into those teams uh, to get involved in, in you know, the hackathons and things like that 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 we do. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Do you guys? Did your organizations invest in many emergent technologies or any any pros or cons or learnings from that side of things? I'll let, yeah. I'll let the tech guys do it. I'll let the tech guys decide what they want to play with. Um, and they do. They are trying stuff all the time. Um, I don't hear about most of it. I only hear about it when they implement. Yeah, okay. What about yourself, Andrew? We definitely do. So there's pretty much every everything you can think of is either in development or in production at Origin. We, it's kind of like Pokemon, collect them all in some respects. So um, we we have things like blockchain for our retail uh, side of the business, our trading part of the business, we're looking at that. So there's a public trial we did around that. We, uh, a lot of work around AI, ML and data science, which is fantastic. Um, we are, yeah, we kind of we, we push as far as we can in every direction, especially other tools that uh, points differentiation. So one of the big things you'll see at the moment that we're working on is the Octopus platform, which is a, a new retail platform based in the UK that Origin has, has invested in. Uh, that is a sensational tool for us to to develop and in, innovate around, integrate with, and, and all of the like. So yeah, it's um. There's definitely a culture of, of if, if we can, we will, that's for sure. Um, when it comes to our cloud offerings, we're always, uh, we're very much an AWS um, first customer. We're very much top left when it comes to every presentation that Amazon does. That being said, we are actually working with Azure and assessing GCP options as, as they come through. Um, Multi-cloud is often something that people want, but I think the reality of, of doing that is very, very different. So, but um, 
you know, we're definitely not wedded to any particular vendor or technology and we're keen to go through and, and, and look at and explore. We've got a lot of smart people. So I think if, if, as long as we can unleash them on a, on a new technology, I think we tend to get benefit. Was there anything else anyone wanted to add or discuss before we sign off today? I can, uh, if there's time for one more question, I can ask it. It comes, yeah, is it, absolutely. Is it about, like, it's only if we've got time or. Oh, we have all the time that you guys have. So please okay. fire away. The last one I had was how do, how do we introduce slowly technological advancements into legacy systems um, and ideas, ideas there? Like myself, I know at Tabcorp, I can answer the first one if you want. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, I mean, often in my career and at Tabcorp, often, I mean, with a strong portfolio, business portfolio of, of work, often always looking in the architectural space of how can we transform systems um, evolutionary, incrementally um, aligned to the portfolio of work. So um, like I mentioned examples in earlier questions around, you know, building, um, building APIs around around platforms and building out from there. But I'm interested in what you guys, what successes have you guys had um, technologically advancing legacy systems? Yeah, integration data quality is probably the, where, where it all starts. That's ultimately heavier, knowing what you've got and, and being able to go through and access that is really, really important. Uh, because it allows, regardless of the hosting, regardless of technology, once you know what you've got and it's of good quality, you're making decisions based on the right data. So otherwise, you got your business running in different directions, making decisions based on on uh, on bunk, effectively. So where the way we started was an integration journey, probably around middle of 2017. I think it's where we started to really do enterprise integration hard, and I think that's probably been the biggest thing that's driven a lot of modernization because it's opened up silos of data that we didn't know existed um, which is in harder problems which means we need to find a solution so i think that for me has been the, the ultimate way in um, once you know what you've got then you know what problem you're trying to solve so yeah that's spawned all kinds of new different new projects for uh, data quality changes system upgrades system migrations system replacements um, consolidation, rationalization, because again, you start to realize, hang on, I got the same data and living in five different places. So it doesn't make any sense. So it's, um, I think that's probably been our, our way in. And beyond that, it comes down to the overall overarching strategy from the CIO. We have a cloud 2022 strategy and 2022 now, and we are almost there, which is great. So um, you need that push from above uh, organizationally to put us on the same direction to go. But ultimately, yeah, it comes down to that data integration piece has been massive for us. How about you, Ron? Yeah, we we really haven't done that many um, because it's just we we really once we moved the once we moved the uh, legacy systems that we had, we just left them um, and basically didn't do, didn't do anything. We did do a bit of development on the on the legacy products over the past few years, but they were mainly compliance changes rather than um, uh, look trying to do anything fancy. In fact in some respects that we deliberately didn't want to do anything fancy because we wanted to keep differences between the 
the old desktop products and the new cloud products, and we wanted to make sure that the, the differences were easily definable. So we, while there were opportunities to do some changes to the desktop products that may have extended their lives, that wasn't the strategy that we wanted to uh, take forward. So we, we deliberately didn't do a lot of technological change on the desktop products. Um, it was definitely a strategy, part of our strategy. Um, but we also, we've also said uh, BHAGs and all those sort of things uh, uh, around all sorts of different targets, but primarily uh, numbers, of, numbers of entities that we have on our systems. Um, that's really what we're aiming at at the moment. And uh, a little bit different from last time. Last time was connections. Um, we got that in 2019 and now we've gone to entities. So uh, that, that encompasses everybody, but it, it's really all, all aimed around our cloud software. Nothing really around the desktop software. And I think one thing, changing topic a little bit, but back to the question around advancing legacy systems. I mean, a lot of I think in a lot of instances, these legacy systems would have a large footprint, be a monolith. That I mean, it's a whole nother topic. But when we do address them, looking at you know break the monolith, break the core into microservices, mm -hmm. but around microservice granularity, like it all comes to. How are you going to decompose and the granularity of that? I used to work with someone who had the view that when decomposing things into microservices, have the granularity so you could replace that microservice inside one increment. So if you need to transform in a future increment, it'd take no more than one increment to replace something, which was an interesting view, I thought, um, of the world. <laughs> it's it's a very, very difficult view, but it's awesome if, if that was, you know, it was possible. So. Yeah. yeah, we have a lot of microservices, but we haven't been able to do that. No, I don't. I don't That's utopia. <laughs> yeah, making yeah. every part yeah, of the application yeah. immutable effectively. Yeah, yeah. But now microservice granularity is an interesting topic. Yeah, and also then you got you know, balance out with operational overheads of maintaining that. Then as you start to then get you know, versioning through your microservices, you, you create a bit of an operational spaghetti that becomes quite tricky very quickly. Anyway, that'd be a fun conversation later on, I think. It sounds like we'll have to have you three on for another podcast and the topic will just be <laughs> operational spaghetti. <laughs> okay, thank you guys all so much for your great questions and contributions put forward today. We'll leave the discussion here for today, but again, I'd like to say a big thank you to you guys, Andrew, Ron and Simon, for the great discussion on balancing legacy systems and technological advancements. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time on the next installment of the Evolution Exchange.